Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. My guest today is award-winning composer and multi-instrumentalist musician, Pat Irwin. He has been gracious enough to come to talk with me about his career and his music. Throughout his career, Pat has been a part of many iconic and influential musical projects. From his early days in New York City, being a founding member of the influential no-wave bands, the Ray Beats and Eight-Eyed Spy, to his years performing with the iconic B-52s and his current ambient country band, Sus. Throughout his full career, he has also created scores for much-loved television series like Rocco's Modern Life, SpongeBob SquarePants, and Nurse Jackie, just to name a few. His latest project is creating the score for the hit series Dexter, New Blood. The album of this soundtrack was released in October by Lakeshore Records. And I am so honored to have him here with me today. So Pat, thank you for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thanks for having me. As I was reading through your long list of accomplishments, a quote that came up from Robert Palmer in the New York Times, and he called you a mercurial presence on the New York rock scene of the early 80s. And in addition to the biography that I just read, you also attended composition workshops with John Cage and released the Lost Philip Glass Sessions. And so I can see where he's coming from with, <laughs> with that review of your work, but I think that it actually makes a lot of sense. And it seems that you're always kind of looking for the new and a little bit out of the ordinary music when you're creating music. Is that a pretty fair assumption of mine? I don't know that I'm looking for it. It just happens naturally. Um, mm -hmm. I can't really change the way I do it, you know, um, no matter how hard I try. Nope. <laughs> but um, it just seems to be the way it works for me, the way it, way it goes. Luckily, I've been able to work on some really great shows and be in some really great bands. So how is it that you choose the projects that you work on? You say it happens naturally, but how does that come about? Well, I don't really choose. These things kind of find me, and I find them. In the case of Eight-Eyed Spy, it was George Scott from The Contortions and Lydia Lunch from Teenage Jesus who were friends, and they wanted to form a band together, and they did. And luckily, a friend of mine knew George and brought me in. We rehearsed and wrote songs and did it. Um, this with the Ray Beats, it was Don Christensen and Jody Harris, who were also in the contortions with George. And really, we just all loved instrumental rock and roll music and wanted to form a band. Same thing, you know, and with a band, you, you, you just you put it together. It's sort of like us versus the world, if you will. In the case of the B-52s, I knew Kate and had met Fred. The Ray Beats had opened for the B-52s on some shows. Even further back than that, I had lent them my amplifier. We, again, because of mutual friends, they needed an amplifier for one of their first shows, their first show at the Mud Club in New York City. And I lived at the end of the alley. And I lent them my amplifier. You know, 10 years later, when um, it came time to put a band together, and tour behind Cosmic Thing, Kate gave me a call. And it wasn't much of a decision. It was like, yeah. But I, what <laughs> I remember really clearly was 
that Kate said it was going to be three weeks long, maybe six weeks. I mean, we weren't really sure that anybody was going to show up. And needless to say, the first B-52s tour lasted 18 months. <laughs> and it went from playing little clubs like, I think our, well, no, we played a party in the basement of a restaurant. And then we played CBGBs and a bunch of other little clubs. And we started to go across the country. And the record company called up and said, uh, come on back. Um, why don't you do a video? And we made the video for Love Shack and then went back out. And without knowing it, it got bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger and bigger. It was so cool. <laughs> I don't think you can even go to a wedding anywhere without hearing Love Shack now. No, can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, that song is is everywhere. And that more to the power of the B-52s, that, that music is in the air mm-hmm. to this day. You know, what a great band. And then in the case of film and television, it's the same thing. I don't really decide to do things. The very first show that I worked on, television show I worked on, was called Tales from the Dark Side. And I was living, you know, in, in my neighborhood at the time in New York City, in uh, Queens, actually. It was around the corner from where Tales from the Dark Side was being shot. And the, the producer recognized me on the street. He was a fan of the rabies. Really? So that's kind of like my kind of networking. I just walked down the, <laughs> walked down the street. <laughs> you know, luckily I didn't have to do a whole lot. He said, you want to do it? And I said, yeah. And I was actually about to leave the next day for Georgia. I was producing a band in Atlanta called Love Tractor, who were also from Athens. Oh, like, okay. Like uh, the Bees and R.E.M. Pylon. So I did this first episode that I worked on from Tales from the Dark Side. I actually did it at night in the studio after working on this record. But I loved it. I always wanted to do that. But I was completely naive. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. And at the same time, per your comment about Robert Palmer, I had been working with uh, choreographers. I had composed some music for some dance performers. And um, this per- that performance that Robert Palmer went to was at Dance Theater Workshop. So he reviewed the show, which was great. He was a fan of the Raybeats and Eight-Eyed Spy, which I'm eternally grateful for. And and Robert Palmer, I won't go on, but man, what a writer. Um, producer from in Atlanta, actually, where you are, uh-huh. from Turner Broadcasting, uh, read the review. Wow. And in the New York Times and asked if I wanted to compose the score for a Turner Broadcasting, which is a brand new network at the mm-hmm. time, a documentary. And I ended up scoring a couple of those documentaries. Wow. And that was how, how that started. I mean, those were the first things I did. All from networking and people you know. and Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't really networking. It was just playing in the clubs. Mm-hmm. And I'm still friends with those people now. Those, you know, the the scene was so wonderful, hmm. and people that I had met in, in those first bands I was in, I'm still friends with now. Same with the B52s, you know. Um, so it, I guess it is networking, but it's not like going to an industry event, right? But anyway, yeah. Well, how does that transfer over from you know writing music for your bands for the Ray Beats and things to scoring for television? Are, is the process the same? I would think it's a little different. 
Oh, yeah. With a band, you're holding the instrument in your hands and rehearsing. With a film and TV, you're looking at the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you're scoring the picture. With a band, you're playing in front of an audience, hopefully. <laughs> um, with, uh, with, with scoring the picture, you know, it's a different kind of performance, but it's not in front of an audience. That hopefully, again, hopefully will come later. Mm-hmm. Both are intensely collaborative, though. Right. And, and they're collaborative in, in ways that intersect. It always sort of surprised me. Um, collaborating is something that I love to do. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, and um, I love the energy that comes from another person bringing in an idea. And in the case of Dexter, that could, that could be the f- producers who all had really great ideas mm. and specific ideas about the score for Dexter New Blood. With a band... You know, I'm thinking of like Fred, like wanting the in for Love Shack, like the intro, like a Motown intro and a party track, you know, just just working on things, coming up with ideas. Being in a band is priceless when it's working. Uh That's interesting to think about how collaborative being a composer could be, because there's this famous story about Leonard Bernstein composing for a film and how frustrated he got because of the lack of, he felt the lack of control and so much of his score got cut. But it seems like you have a much more collaborative approach to composing and for scoring. If you said in Dexter, the producers had lots of ideas. What was kind of the process of creating that score? Well, first of all, with regards to having things being cut, if you're not prepared to have things being cut, you're in the wrong business. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Dexter, I had things that I was submitting very early on, even before I received the scripts, uh, just based on general ideas about what I knew it was going to be, mm-hmm. I was sending ideas for feedback. I know composers, it doesn't matter whether they're classical composers, jazz or rock and roll, who aren't ready for that kind of scrutiny. Um, you know, things being cut, not used, changes being made, but it's being made for a film. Uh, and really, actually, I wasn't ready for it when I started out, mm. to be honest with you. Um, I think about it. I wished I had been a little bit more prepared for that. But with Dexter, we knew really early on that we wanted a new, a new sound. Mm-hmm. We weren't in Miami anymore. And it needed to be different than the original score. Yet at the same time, we wanted to allude to that beautiful theme that Daniel Lick composed. So that that was a, a challenge, but I like that kind of challenge. That was a good challenge. First of all, the original was so beautiful right, and so beautifully composed and recorded, but we knew we wanted a colder, more distant, austere sound. More, and one producer in particular, uh, Marcos Siega, was quite specific when he told me in, the, in our first meeting that he wanted a more ambient sound. Mm-hmm. And I knew, at least I thought I knew exactly what he meant. And I loved the music from say Chernobyl, mm-hmm. Trent Reznor's and Atticus Ross's, their score for uh, the social network. Mm-hmm. I really loved that idea of the sound design being a part of the score. And we wanted to do that. Right. With Dexter. So how is that different? Um, Because it is very ambient and it's much more electronic. So I I would assume that it's the whole 
recording process is very different for electronic music than, say, a traditional here's the score, send it to musicians type of process? Um, it's There are more similarities than differences. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's got to serve the picture. Uh-huh. And, you know, with traditional instruments, if you will, maybe a synthesizer is more true, depending on how you feel about it. But like with a, as a, with a traditional orchestral instrument, a violin is a violin, a guitar is a guitar. You know, you might play it differently. It might be processed differently. It might uh-huh. have different effects on it or something. With a, with a synthesizer, at least a couple that I used, you know, you create the sounds and you have to design the sound yourself. Now there are plugins that come with modern digital recording uh, workstations that that have presets, but I used a couple synthesizers that are so old they don't even have presets. Really, and that was time consuming to find the right sound oh. that I wanted that would work. And it was it's it was solitary, mm-hmm. like the show. I think, and that rubbed off on the way the music sounded because I'd be by myself trying to get just the, what I thought would be the right sound to work for it. Um, it was fun. Yeah. You know, but ultimately I scored it in the same way, you know, like as if it was an orchestral score, you know, there, the violins will be at the top and the woodwinds in the middle and they're, you know, different sounds. I, I just treated them as, as instruments. Mm-hmm. And so you had the layering and you had the doubling and everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you, how did you manipulate the sound with those old synthesizers in like, what are some of the things that you were, what were some of the sounds you were looking for as you were coming up with that? Um, like the sound of the place where they were, mm-hmm. the wind and the cold and the crunchiness of the snow, the, the, the sound of his knives. Wow. Um, you know, I really wanted to get inside there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what you want to do when you're writing a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be in there. I wanted to be in there with the set design and the actors and the editing and the the writing. And I wanted to be a part of it. Oh, I love that. And that's what I love about music, that it can really create that whole world building and work so well with the picture. Yeah, me That's too. really exciting. I, I agree. You know, at times it's kind of hair raising when you've got a deadline staring at you. But <laughs> when you, True. when you, when I, and, and there's a, just a priceless feeling when you feel like you've got it, mm. you know, like I've I got this, this is it, you know, now many times it's not it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get feedback and have to change it, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know, and, and I'm well past the point. No more do you, do you say things like, well, what's wrong with it or why not? You know, you just, if it's not working, it's not working. Gotcha. <laughs> so did you get any of those uh, changed cuts? Are those on the album or like any of the ones that you wish had made it into the show or are these just what made it into the show? Oh, you're, oh, you're I'm glad you asked that because there are some things that didn't make it into the show that are on the record. Really? Yeah. Is it okay if I ask which one? Well, um, I have my notes here, but I'd have to go through it. You know, just... Just little pieces. There's some piano things that maybe, maybe the, that goes on a little longer that yeah. were cut that I felt would make it better for listening, but mm-hmm, weren't mm-hmm. necessarily working for for the picture. It needed to cut, be cut. Mm-hmm. So not a lot. Everything on the 
everything is basically there. It's just, you know, that I, there were four there, I call them new blood suites. And I wanted the, the, the record to feel like you were watching the whole show from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made it. Yeah. It definitely has a story arc to it. Um, man, that makes does. me so happy. Yeah. I'm glad you, you caught that. You're the first yeah. person to say, I really wanted to do that. Um, I was worried that it might be too long, No, but you know, you don't have to listen to it all at once. Well, and speaking of listening to it, um, it's great to listen to it with headphones or in a surround sound because the mixing in this album is so fun. There's so much depth to it and there's so much. Now, what I mean by depth for the listeners who don't understand, when you sit there with with earphones on, some of the sounds, some of the sound like they're very, very far away and it sounds like you're in the middle of the room and everything is going on around you. That's what I mean by depth. And I've just got to know, so you worked with the mixing engineer, like what, how did you create that sort of all around depth of the mix of this album? I'm so glad you asked this because yes, I work with a mixing engineer and I've, his name is Patrick Derivaz and he's, he's a real talent. I've worked with him since Rocco's Modern Life. Really? Yeah, we go back. He's done everything I've done, and I mean everything. He's done Bored to Death, Nurse Jackie, Rocco, well, the last four seasons of Rocco's Modern Life. And mm-hmm. um, I trust him. I, I can't imagine working on something without him. Mm. And so that's really him. That's really? his him taking my stuff and doing his thing on it. Really? Yeah, 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 really. Well, he did a beautiful job with it. So I'm going to tell him next time you talk to him, please. <laughs> call him. Well, we I've got a date to call him tomorrow, but yeah, I'll tell him today. You yeah. know, they don't get a lot of um, feedback. Really, engineer, you know, recording engineers, um, and increasingly, composers are being asked to do more of the mixing themselves. Right. I'm not that great at it. I'm getting better. I mix all the sus music myself. Oh, do you? Mm. Maybe Patrick does a couple things, but I do most of it. And um, I ask him for advice, I think, maybe. I couldn't do it without him. I mean, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it without him. You know, mm. I just, I'm not that good at it. I love collaborating also. Mm-hmm. So he'll play me what he has in mind. Uh, and I love, I love being surprised. Yeah. And he, he, he does that panning and, Oh yeah, oh, that's cool stuff. And it, I think it create it makes the sounds that you've created so carefully, and just accentuates them in just the right places to really bring everything together so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for noticing. Oh, I loved it. It was so oh, fun. That's really cool. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Well, um, just one little question follow up on the mixes and then we'll, we'll go back to your career. Do you write and then he mixes the music and then it gets sent to the sound people in the show for them to yes. do a final mix? Yeah. I mean, we put some new mixes on there for the record. Okay. But yeah. for the most part, um, I, to be honest with you, Patrick delivers the files mm-hmm. with, with a premix in mind. 
if it's too much or too wide or something, they'll change it at the final mix. And that can gotcha. happen. You know, you put it together at the end. It's kind of like magic, really, or baking a cake or something. It's just its own kind of magic. You, you get a you, you, you mix it together with the dialogue and the effects. And mm -hmm. sometimes you're hearing things that you never noticed before. Mm. Uh, I remember the first time that happened to me on the, when I sent the music for Tales from the Dark Side. And I, I was... It was I was getting deep. I just thought I was doing doing it, and and then I watched it back on the show, and there was like this jackhammer going over the score, and I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> you're not, you know, it has to be part of the, the storytelling and, the, yeah. and what's happening on the screen. Well, how did you get to that point where you don't like take it personally when you've worked so hard and you have this beautiful thing that works? What's the mindset that you have to not take it personally when there's comments? Uh, I don't know what happens specifically, but you just have to be prepared. Like, like when you're done with it, when you send it out, you send that final mix out. It's just no longer yours. I see. Luckily, I got a handle on that early on with Rocco's Modern Life. When you send it out, you're done. Hopefully, there's a new one that comes in um, mm -hmm. and you do the next one. It's just... It's no longer yours. And that's sort of what's cool about it, too. You get somebody else do their thing with it. I, sw I swear to you, I work with a music editor quite a bit, a woman named Missy Cohen. She didn't work on Dexter, but every, every, the other shows that you mentioned and several others. Missy and Nick Carr, who was the music editor on Rocco, most of the time when the edits are made, they're making it better. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really exciting to have have a piece of music being transformed into something better by a music editor. That's wow. that's golden. Well, Rocco's Modern Life is also an iconic show, and the music was a huge part of that. So yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty spectacular, and it's very different. That music's very different from Dexter. Yeah, very different. I mean, Rocco, we had the more, probably one of the most amazing bands. I've had some great bands for soundtracks. I love putting together a band and then having it work. And Rocco, it was over four or five years, and then we got together again. 10 years later for um, the movie. This band was amazing. They read anything that I put in front of them. They were masters. They're all better, much better musicians than I could have ever imagined. So they, they, they pulled me along. You know, they, they were patient with me. The, the trombone player is a masterful musician named Art Barron who mm -hmm. was the last living trombone player to be in the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Really? Yeah, I'll say that again. Duke Ellington Orchestra. Wow. Kevin Norton, the drummer, just he made everything better. Kevin made everything better. He was with Anthony Braxton. I don't know if you know who Anthony is, but an avant-garde mm -hmm. sax player. Dave Hofstra played bass, and Dave was in the Ray Beats, but Dave... 
played with everyone in Lower Manhattan, from John Zorn, Elliot Sharp, amazing musician. Rob DeBellis was on Woodwinds. And um, right now, Rob is in the pit orchestra of The Lion King. I play guitar and organ. It was a small little band. And we would bring in other musicians, like if we needed a bagpipe player for like one cue, we brought in a bagpipe <laughs> player. Tony Trishka played the banjo one song. We brought in harmonica, Dave Douglas. They were on trumpet on some things. It, it was just a great band. Um, mm. Legendary musicians, all of them. It was a thrill. It was a thrill. We really yeah. looked forward and they really wanted to make it better. And they did. They made everything better. That's one of the great things about when I get to put a live band together for, for a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently found all of the master tapes for Rocco. Wow. Kate and Fred from the B-52s sang the theme. And uh, we just had a ball. We had a ball. It was like being inside of an engine. I loved it. <laughs> I can imagine. And it just made that show. I mean, the show was great anyway, but the music was just, it was so different from anything else at the time. And I think it really set the bar high for other shows like that. Oh, thank you. I, I can't let you go without talking about Sus just a little bit, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Thanks. Um, so ambient country music. I think it sounds awesome, but I would never put ambient and country together in my mind. So how how did that generate? How did that come about? Well, I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, <laughs> Bob Holmes had the idea and put those words together. And Bob is in the band. Mm-hmm. We we were friends. We would meet at this deli for years in Midtown. Well, in lower, lower Manhattan, really, uh, on Fifth Avenue, Eisenstein's. And we would hang out and talk about music and blah, blah, blah. And then one time, one day, Bob thought, well, maybe we should form a band. And we did. And we all loved ambient music, starting with, Probably Eno would come to mind. And, and, and Bob's idea was to combine um, what would happen if Eno and Eno, Eno Morricone were in the same band. <laughs> so Eno and Eno. <laughs> and we all like country music. And lo and behold, there's a lot of people who are kind of doing their version of this. Really? Um, yeah, Chuck Johnson, Luke Schneider, Hayden Pedigo, a lot of really interesting musicians are taking like con- what you might consider traditional country instruments and doing something else with it. Mm-hmm. But I would also include uh, John Cage, Philip Glass. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Bill Frizzell. I don't know if you know Bill Bill's music. No, but, I'll have to listen. Well, please do. Okay. Um, yeah, Bill Bill Frizzell is, and he would he would you know he's on a jazz label. He would probably never talk, say ambient, but nor would Philip Glass. But Eno does, and there it's just a different sound. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Sus exists, if only because at the beginning of Dexter, you know, I knew the showrunner, Clyde Phillips, but the other producers, which who were Michael C. Hall, the actor, um, Marco Siega, and Scott Reynolds, they didn't know me. They knew me as SpongeBob SquarePants and the B-52s. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really make any kind of connection to like Dexter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nothing kind of screamed out like, oh, yeah, that's our guy. <laughs> but when they heard the music of Sus, they could hear it. They could make a right. connection. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving Sus a spin. We've got a new record coming out soon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. When Next is that? week. Next week. Oh, an EP. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put links to that um, in oh, our show notes so people can, yeah. can find it. It's really interesting. It's a, like you said, it's, it's the country instruments played in a new way. And I love, I love that. I love hearing things done in unexpected ways to make new sounds. I just get a kick out of it. So I'm excited to hear that. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So now you've been in the industry for a long time. I know it's changed a lot in the last few years. Where do you see, where do you see kind of the music industry or, I mean, that's such a loaded, huge question. Where do you see the, um, I guess the scoring industry and going in the future? Working remotely is going to change everything. Right. It already has. You know, being you know working during the COVID lockdown, right? Um, uh, and there are advantages to working remotely, and there are some things that, speaking for myself, that I don't particularly enjoy. But I, the convenience, you can't deny it. Right. Um, digital file sharing has changed everything. So instead of like putting a tape into FedEx and sending it to Los Angeles, you just say load it up on the server right (laughs) like you know like give me 10 minutes and i'll put it on the internet right you know that we were doing things on dexter in real time which would have taken over a day um, by working remotely it would be oh that song that's coming out of the radio isn't working that well can we have can you cut a verse and go right to the chorus and then put the score in and the music editor Jordan Ross would do that and mm-hmm. send the files to the mixer um, in real time. Wow. And, you know, you got to be really pretty good to do that. But right. but he's re- he was really good. Um, so that's my answer to that. Re- working remotely, you know, obviously in the, the time that I've been doing this, the computer has changed everything. Um, look what we're doing now. Right. And um, it's just remarkable that, you know, the computer has enabled so many of us to be composers mm-hmm. and, and work with the image in the computer and sync it up. You know, in the very beginning of Rocco's Modern Life, I was actually working with just drawings and a stopwatch, uh, the storyboards. Really? So I knew how long that scene was going to be if it was a matter of seconds or whatever and i would time it and write it into the score with with the tempo wow when 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 i got hip to the computer programming which was you know in it existed but i didn't really use it uh you know the computer loved that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and i said oh yeah 
I'll, I'll time that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's made it easier in some ways. Yeah, very much so. But it's but it's also, you know, there's a dangerous side to it um, in that as more and more, let's just say, sounds and digital samples of orchestral sounds primarily, drum sounds become more available. If you're not careful, things sound the same because everybody's got the same sounds. They've yeah. got the same BBC orchestra or the same Hans Zimmer or the, the same piano samples. You know, so I try to, you know, I have a piano right over here. You try, you try to use as much, I try to use as much of my own as possible. Mm. Um, but you can't get away from the fact that you have to move quickly. Right. And um, convenience is a factor. Yeah. It's all right. It's okay. You know, it's mm -hmm. part of the part of the deal. But that that troubles me a little bit. Mm. As more and more younger composers want to get get in the business. Uh jumping off the back of that, what sort of advice do you have for some of these young composers that are just starting their career out? Uh be yourself. What do you mean by <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like your own sound or just not try to be somebody you're not? What do you mean by be yourself? Exactly that. Really? You just can't change who you are. I, I'm not going to be Hans Zimmer anytime soon. Yeah. I'm not, let alone Ennio Marconi or Ry Cooter. You know, I can only be myself. Mm -hmm. And I bring, I have to bring that to the table. Now, a film, the fun part about being, uh, being a composer is you get pushed into places that you didn't know you were going to go, uh -huh. you know, like on Rocco, you know, you, you'd have to, there was sort of an eclectic side to it, which is fun. Bluegrass music. Well, let me give it a try and it'll be your own version of it. Um, uh -huh. Hopefully Th there's a sort of a correct sound, maybe different comp big companies, let's say like Marvel, or maybe, maybe there's a sound that you have to have. I know there is. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I'm not going to be the first person they call for that kind of score, mm -hmm. um, per what you were saying at the very beginning. I, I just sort of, I can't help it, you know, just do what I do. And I yeah. just, that's the advice I would give to a younger composer. Otherwise you're going to chase something that isn't really there or someone. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that advice. Thank you so much for that. Sure. Thank you. Um, and also, this has been such a wonderful day for me. This has been such a delight to talk with you. I so cool. appreciate. <laughs> I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Like, well, thanks thank for you. having me. Yeah, it's been so, really nice for me too. Good, good. Well, I wish you all the best with this uh, with the Dexter album, which is out through Lakeshore Records. It's out now, and then yeah. Susses is coming out next week. There's an EP on Northern Spy, mm -hmm. which is a, a Brooklyn-based label that we're really fortunate to be a part of. And um, and there will be more in about a month after that. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, so we'll keep updated with that. Well, thank you, Pat Irwin. This has been just an honor for me. I have so appreciated getting to know you and uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in our discussion with award-winning composer and musician Pat Irwin, all about his career, his composition process, and his music. You can find out more about Pat on his website, patirwinmusic.com. I'll have links to his website, the Dexter New Blood Score, as well as links to Pat's band Sus and their new album in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you know of anyone that may be interested in today's conversation, please share this episode with them. And if you have a minute, leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts so that others can find us as well. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, you definitely won't want to miss next time, where we'll be diving in depth into the mixing process of the score to Dexter New Blood with Patrick Duravez, music producer, mixer, composer, and bassist. By the end of that episode, you will have gotten the inside look into the making of the score to Dexter New Blood from beginning to end. I hope that you'll join us. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts of Winter is Hard by Sus, Out of Luck from Bored to Death, Rocco Needs More Time from Rocco's Modern Life, and In Another Time, music for electric guitar and piano. All pieces were composed by Pat Irwin and shared here with permission. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much, and have a great day.